You are listening to Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking around. So we're going to talk about something that I feel very passionately about, similar to Dr. Kirby. I know she gave you an HS lecture yesterday. Uh, we collaborated beforehand, so this one will cover some different aspects of um, HS management. These are my disclosures. And so basically, we're going to talk about the basic toolbox of treatments for hydradenitis separativa, or HS uh, for short. And we will go through uh, my approach, uh, my suggestions for an approach to these patients. And so just by way of review, HS is a chronic inflammatory disorder of the hair follicles in the intratriginous areas. It's more common in women, uh, more common in African-Americans and people from lower socioeconomic status backgrounds, and is associated with obesity and smoking. And we know now that HS is a systemic inflammatory disorder, uh, similar to psoriasis, and so these patients are at risk for other inflammatory disorders like pyoderma gangrenosum, inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's in particular, cardiovascular disease, and depression. And the quality of life scores for these patients are worse than psoriasis. So I used to think of HS management in this pyramid form where we would think about first line, second line, third line treatments. And people often ask me, what's my favorite treatment for HS? I don't really have one because I think that the HS treatment algorithm is really a continuum. We have our medical and surgical managements, but in addition to that, we have to address the psychosocial aspects of the disease with our patients. So this disease can lead to job loss, depression, uh, divorce, um, and so we have to think about these things and address them. Wound care is another important aspect of management of HS patients. Many of them have significant drainage, and the drainage soils their clothing and can really affect their quality of life. And the drainage can also contribute to malodor. And then the fourth thing is lifestyle modifications, including smoking and weight loss. And we'll talk about that very specifically uh, with one of our clinical cases today. So let's talk about my sort of HS treatment principles. The first and most important one is it's really important to individualize treatment to uh, the individual patient. So again, you can't really have an algorithm uh, because different patients have different needs. So you ask the patient, what is their main concern? What is their goal for treatment? And I think the first thing we need to do is step away from using Hurley staging as a measure of severity and really let the patient guide that aspect of the discussion. So it may be the mildest HS that I've seen, but it really impacts the patient. They're not able to sit, and they're an administrative assistant, for example, and they have to sit all day long. That's severe disease from that patient's perspective. I think you have to assess the psychosocial impact. Um, as I mentioned before, you have to think about uh, family planning. Are they trying to conceive, or will they be trying to conceive in the next six months? And that can help determine your treatment regimen as well. Remember, these are young, usually young women in their 30s, 
uh, and 20s who are in the prime of their lives and are trying to do life in addition to dealing with this horrible disease. I think it's really important to set expectations, right? We don't have a cure for HS yet. Um, and it is a disease, I guess, akin to eczema where you can have things under relatively good control, but you'll still have acute flares. And so it's really important to talk to patients about that so they expect that and don't assume that the medication has stopped working. I think you also have to define improvement. So I talk to patients about the fact that we are looking for maybe a decrease in drainage or decrease in pain. Maybe you'll have fewer lesions over time, or maybe those lesions will last a shorter amount of time. And those are the, the parameters we're using to define improvement so that when they come back in two to three months, we could have a really you know, accurate discussion about whether the regimen worked or not. And so I put these photos up here to, just to remind you that the needs of every patient can be quite different. So for example, uh, for this patient, her main concern is, uh, was pain. And so just a little intralesional catalog would address her concern for that visit because it was hard for her to sit, it was hard for her to exercise. This patient, her main concern was wound dressings. Right? She has these open ulcerative lesions uh, that were extremely painful and soiled her clothing. Additionally, she would lose little bits of blood from all of these lesions every day, and so she was chronically anemic as well. And for this patient, his main concern was, uh, of course, that soiled his clothing all the time. So the other thing I think it's important to consider are the comorbidities that HS patients, the patients usually carry. So hypertension, diabetes, obesity, PCOS, and inflammatory bowel disease. Sometimes we can use a treatment modality that will treat both the HS and one of the comorbidities. So for example, if the patient has diabetes, perhaps metformin is a good adjunct to whatever you're treating their HS with. If they have PCOS, uh, perhaps spironolactone is a good addition to their regimen. If they have inflammatory bowel disease, then a biologic uh, would be a great choice. You also have to consider the cost of the treatment. Of course, the financial cost is important, but also the social cost, the opportunity cost for your patients. So for example, um, if you have a young woman who is a public defender, um, leaving work every two to three months to spend a day in an infusion center would be too high a cost for her. Or another example is I had an orthopedic surgery resident who needed to stand in the OR for 10, 12 hours a day. You put her on spironolactone, which causes diuresis, and she has to scrub out and go to the bathroom every couple of hours. That cost was too high for her. But the only way to find these things out is to really take some time to talk to your patients, get to know them. I think the social history is the most fun part of the visit, and that can really inform what will work for that specific patient. And you don't want to treat the whole patient. HS is one of those disorders where the patient, you know, you have a 40-year-old man come in with his mom, right? They really need a lot of support, and if they're lucky, they have that. They have a spouse, a family member, or a friend 
who's coming with them to visits and helping them with their wound dressings and so on. And so it's important to involve them with the patient's uh, consent, of course, in the discussion. I would involve the patient's primary care provider, and if they don't have one, I would recommend that they get one, even go so far as to give them a list of names of people in your area, um, because if you do any screening tests and note any concerning trends, it's really useful to be able to just call someone or fax over those results um, directly so they can help you manage it. And then don't hesitate to refer HS patients out for psychosocial support, whether it's psychotherapy, psychiatry, um, even talking to the social workers if you're in an academic center. Uh, refer them out for nutrition, for wound care, and for surgery as needed. And last but not least, it's really important to layer and rotate your therapies for HS. Really, we don't have one magic bullet for HS. I find that when you treat with two, even three modalities, and you rotate them, uh, you often have better efficacy. So we're gonna do three patient cases um, with the purpose of highlighting one or two teaching points or one or two ways of managing HS. So the first case, this is a 21-year-old woman. She has a two-year history of HS. She gets a couple of boils per month uh, under her arms only, and it's usually a few days before her menstrual cycle. She's had multiple courses of antibiotics, including doxycycline, minocycline, with no benefit, and she gets frequent yeast infections whenever she uses antibiotics. She has no medical history. She's had multiple INDs in the emergency room, and she has a progesterone-releasing IUD in place for the past six months. And the social history, right, the fun part, she's a junior in college, she's studying sports medicine, so she's very active, and she's very distressed by her HS. She denies any symptoms of depression, anxiety, which I think you should screen for. But her boyfriend thinks her boils are gross. Um, and that's a major source of the stressor, the, the, the stress associated with the disease for her. She's a non-smoker. So here's a question for you. Which of the following treatment options would be the most appropriate option for this patient? Clindamycin and rifampin laser hair removal, removal of the IUD, finasteride, or isotretinoin. All right, good. So we're all over the place, so we'll definitely learn something. For her, I thought the most appropriate treatment was laser hair removal, but let's go back a little bit and talk about some of the other options. So clindamycin and rifampin together, that is a reasonable option to try in patients who've tried doxycycline or minocycline and failed. However, she gets uh, really wicked yeast infections with, her anti with antibiotics, and she preferred to avoid antibiotics, as did I. For some patients, progesterone-releasing uh, IUDs or other progesterone-only uh, forms of birth control can flare their HS, but there are also some patients who've told me that they've improved on one of those modalities. So if she told me that her HS was smoldering along nicely and then shortly after the IUD was placed, it's picked up in intensity, 
then I would be more likely to ask her to consider removing the IUD. But she did not see any difference between pre and post IUD in the activity of her um, HS. Finasteride is indeed an option for treatment of HS, but she is uh, in, her in the prime of her life in the childbearing age. Even though she is on uh, birth control, I suppose it could be an option, but it wouldn't be my first choice for a young woman. And isotretinoin, I've had no luck with isotretinoin working well for HS. All right. So let's talk about laser hair removal for HS. So there was actually a randomized control trial that demonstrated an up to 75% reduction in disease activity in relatively severe HS, so people with early stage two and three disease. I found that it's even more effective in early disease, so early stage one. And my friend and colleague, Dr. Kate Putkin, she's a pediatric dermatologist at Hopkins, and we shared a lot of HS patients, and she did the majority of the laser hair removal for our patients, and this was her regimen. Uh, she used 15 to 23% topical lidocaine, and these are her settings. And she would do pulse stacking over any active nodules, and then treat in a rosette around any active nodules as well, in addition to trying to epilate the entire underarm or the entire mons or inguinal fold. And we've had quite a lot of success with this in mild disease. It makes sense, right, since the inflammation is surrounding the hair follicle. If early in disease you can decrease the number of hair follicles that are present, then it stands to reason that perhaps the disease would not progress in the same way. Here's our second case. This is a 33-year-old woman with a history of mild HS since her teens. She's 16 weeks pregnant with her first child, and for the, first, for the past four weeks, the HS lesions in her axilla, inguinal fold, and medial thighs have increased in number and frequency. They're very painful and last longer than usual. She has a history of PCOS, and uh, that contributed to some infertility. She's only on prenatal vitamins. She's a first grade teacher. She's married and they've been trying to conceive for 10 years, so they're pretty stoked that uh, they're pregnant. But the HS is really preventing her from enjoying the pregnancy. And she's a non-smoker. So here's our next question. Which of the following is not an appropriate treatment option for this patient? Laser hair removal, doxycycline, adalimumab, metformin, or intralesional steroid injections. Awesome. Good job, guys. So let's talk about HS in pregnancy. So it's really all over the place. About 20% of women report that their HS improves during pregnancy. 5% uh, report that it worsens during pregnancy, and then the vast majority don't think that there's any significant change. But, of course, managing HS during pregnancy can be a little bit challenging since so many of our usual options are no longer available to us. So the tetracyclines are contraindicated during pregnancy, all of them, doxycycline, minocycline, and tetracycline. However, clindamycin and rifampin together can be used in pregnancy on a case-by-case -case basis. Of course, I wouldn't do this without the OBGYN's uh, you know, uh, input. 
The topical antibiotics are pregnancy category B, clindamycin, erythromycin, metronidazole, they can all be safely used during pregnancy. Uh, laser hair removal can be safely used during pregnancy, and certainly intralesional injections of, uh, of Kenalog around the 10 milligram per cc dose have been shown to be safe in pregnancy. The biologics, um, pretty much all of them are pregnancy category B, and we know that adalimumab is FDA approved for the management of HS, but IgG antibodies do cross the placenta, and the placenta is most permeable to these antibodies in the third trimester. So some sources recommend stopping, if you, if you do place a patient on a biologic for HS during pregnancy, some sources say you should stop it in the third trimester just to decrease uh, the exposure of the fetus to uh, the drug. The antibodies have been found in breast milk, but the significance of this is unclear and probably, um, probably fine. So metformin is another option that you can use uh, to manage HS in pregnancy. Metformin has been used to manage gestational diabetes, so it's generally considered to be safe, but of course, again, with uh, the OB's permission. And the dosing of metformin for HS, it's very similar to diabetes or even PCOS dosing. You start at 500 milligrams uh, with the evening meal. The extended release form is much better tolerated in terms of uh, GI side effects than the, the regular formulation. And you titrate up every couple of weeks until you get to about 1,500 to 2,000 milligrams per day. Uh, the GI side effects are actually you know, pretty significant. Diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, um, and can be, can be a limiting factor. But many people tolerate metformin just fine. Um, there is one rare side effect, lactic acidosis, uh, patients with renal or hepatic disease, older patients, uh, those who uh, drink alcohol in excess, and uh, patients who, are, who have radiologic studies with contrast are at higher risk for this side effect. No one I know, including primary care doctors, internal medicine doctors, have ever seen this side effect, and they give metformin like candy. Uh, so it's generally considered to be safe. All right, here's our third case. This is a 57-year-old woman with a 10-year history of HS and type 2 diabetes. She's a BMI of 40. Uh, her hemoglobin A1C is 5.6%, so a pretty well-controlled diabetes. She's on metformin, 1,500 milligrams daily, and liver glutide. She's tried multiple antibody, uh, antibiotics. They're difficult for her to tolerate due to GI side effects primarily. She did adalimumab for six months and saw no improvement. And of course, she's on metformin, which is another HS, op HS treatment option. She's an admitted sugar addict, um, as the way she phrased it. And she said that she would have a two liter of Coke, one or two of those per day. And so she was hoping for a natural approach to the treatment of her HS, which you know, you'll hear a lot of patients talk about this. And she was specifically inquiring about which foods should I eat to help my HS. So here's our third question. Does a low carbohydrate diet improve HS? True or false? Ah, interesting. So 70% of you think that it's true. So let's, let's see what the data has to say. There isn't a lot of it out there, 
But among patients, diet affecting HS is a strongly held belief, and they want our input. So I think we should educate ourselves about this. So what are patients saying to each other? That they should avoid the nightshades, which are tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, potatoes. They should avoid dairy, a gluten-free diet, a yeast-free diet, uh, certain branded diets like paleo or Whole30. You know, patients and the patient groups online really advocate for these types of interventions. And I have met patients who have been, who are on all of these diets at the same time and have very few options uh, regarding what they eat and their HS is still chugging along. But we do know that a highly refined carbohydrates and simple sugars promote increase in plasma glucose levels, they promote low-grade hyperinsulinemia throughout the day, and they promote weight gain. We also know that milk increases insulin levels and contains androgens and other DHT precursors. So it stands to reason that perhaps diet may have a role in the management of HS. This horrible slide is just to show you that in the acne basic science world, they have worked out a pathway that uh, shows a, a connection between refined carbohydrates, dairy, and glucose um, into the TH17 inflammatory pathway and comedogenesis. So technically, there may be something to this. But there still aren't a lot of studies out there. I'll tell you about a couple studies that I was able to find. One looked at the Mediterranean diet NHS. This was a case-controlled, cross-sectional study. They had 41 HS patients and 41 matched controls. Notably, this was a European study. Only three patients were Hurley stage three and the average BMI was 30. So these patients are generally smaller and less severe than the patients I tend to see. And they, you know, administered the Mediterranean diet and had the patients do diaries and, and they did all kinds of cool biometric measures. And what they saw that was that compared to controls, HS patients consumed more fat, more red meat, less fish, less complex carbohydrates, and less fiber. And they also found that more severe disease was associated with a higher total and simple carbohydrate intake and an overall lower adherence to the Mediterranean diet. Small study in Europe. This study was even less you know, robust and less well controlled, but there were 12 HS patients who had just had surgery for their HS. And in order to be included in the study, they had to have a positive IgG reaction to brewer's yeast and to wheat. I had no idea what brewer's yeast was and I had to look it up. Basically, brewer's yeast is in anything that you want to eat. Bread, cake, tea, soy sauce, beer, wine, cheese, mushrooms, all the good stuff. And so they placed these patients on a brewer's free yeast diet for 12 months in Europe. I, I'm not sure what they ate. And they didn't use any objective measures to say how well the patients did, but they said that there was immediate stabilization of clinical symptoms and lesions regressed over a year. And in the patients who inadvertently or purposely consumed any products containing brewer's yeast, they had recurrence of their disease. And so that's it, folks. That is all we have in the literature looking at diet in HS. Um, so the jury's still out. Patients will still ask you about this. What I tend to do is I recommend a balanced diet, 
I think less carbohydrates, more protein um, is generally a good recommendation for all of us. I certainly recommend less sugar-sweetened beverages if that's something that patients tend to indulge in. But I would say tread lightly here. HS patients, many of them have been body shamed by other providers and told that this disease is primarily because they were overweight. And so I would build trust and rapport before launching into a weight loss and diet, into weight loss and dietary recommendations. And I really wouldn't do that on your first visit unless the patient brings that up. This is one of my favorite quotes. It's actually on the wall as you enter Howard University Hospital. It's, I've learned that people will forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you make them feel. So this just tread really lightly here. I even have some suggestions on how you might bring this conversation up. So sometimes I'll say, you know, some of my patients find it useful if we talk about how diet can influence HS. Are you interested in talking about that today? Or are you interested in talking about that at our next visit? That's a safe way, I think, to introduce the idea. Sometimes HS patients will come back and they'll say, you know, I don't know, I've had a really rough six months. Um, I've had more flares than usual. Maybe you can ask, well, what changed during that time? Did you gain weight? Did you lose weight? Did you change your contraceptive? Were you more stressed? And just ask the variety of questions about things that could be flaring their HS. And then if they bring it up, then you continue the discussion. So the other question that I think patients ask is, does weight loss really improve HS? Again, we don't have data to show that by losing weight, your HS gets better. But there are other benefits of weight loss, right? Improved uh, metabolic syndrome, decreased friction, and you may actually increase the efficacy of your standard doses of medication. So if a patient is interested in a weight loss regimen, then I do support them and try to help them get there, but not because it's going to cure their HS. I was really excited about bariatric surgery and HS. I thought that my HS patients would do so much better after bariatric surgery. Um, and I found it to be mixed. Some of them after bariatric surgery, they had a lot of excess skin. And that skin rubbed on skin and caused more friction and they developed more HS lesions in those areas. And then they just did a small study showing that compared to control HS patients, those who had bariatric surgery ended up with multiple micronutrient deficiencies um, and responded uh, less to their HS medications. And some patients even developed HS after their bariatric surgery. So not exactly the panacea I thought it would be. So just some take-home points from this uh, section. When it comes to weight loss and HS and dietary recommendations and HS, the, weight, the, the jury is still out. I will build rapport before launching into these discussions. And it's safe enough to encourage a low-carbohydrate, low-sugar diet. We should kind of all be doing that anyway. But educate patients about what that means. I think we throw around the word carbohydrate, assuming everybody knows what a carbohydrate is and then have follow-up discussions at future visits if patients are interested. And if a patient is overweight and they're motivated to lose weight, then be supportive and give them concrete advice and refer them to a nutritionist if needed. So, thank you. I guess I will take my questions over in the mingle zone. Thank you so much. This has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.